BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to the 2023 college football season. You're listening to Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast, the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, and a proud member of the Herdat Sports Network. I'm Ben, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Drew. Thanks, Ben, and thank you all for joining us. For those new to the show, each episode, Ben and I will sample craft beverages, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. Man, this is just the stripping over the peas. On this week's episode, Drew and I wrap up our preseason previews with the back half of Nebraska's Big Ten West schedule and take a return trip to McCook's Loop Brewing Company. I'm Ben. And I'm Drew. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, it's almost here. The football, the football season is is so close. The next time we sit down and record a podcast episode, my arm was stuck in the air for a really long time. <laughs> the next time we sit down to record an episode, we will be recording our Minnesota game preview. Yes. The first game of the season. Looking ahead at an actual real-life college football game. Yeah. Woo. We will stumble over Ethan Kaliak Manis <laughs> for an entire hour. I can't even say podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, just, man. I, don't you just love the recesses of your brain that you can hang on to? Like, oh, yeah, that's Ethan Kaliak Manis. That's the quarterback for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And he will be there for two years. And then I will go through that, get rid of all that information, and then bring in a new just fleet of players around the Big Ten. Yeah. And be able to hang on to that. Yeah. It's getting harder and harder these days, though, with all the, the transfers and the roster turnover. But, you know, if you've got that memory where it can, you know, you can stick those little oddball names. It works. I don't know. There's just, there. you know, who knows how his game is going to be this year, but there's a nice rhythm to Ethan Kalia Kmanis. Once, once you have it, yeah. 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 Once I got that name down. That's good. Know. I'm just going to let you continue. Notice I haven't said it. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope to say over and over, can you believe how many interceptions Kalia Kmanis threw or how many fumbles Kalia Kmanis had? Or I just can't wait to like hopefully it. say that. Yeah. That one time that MJ Sherman just lit up Kaliak Manis. There you go. You, there you said go. It. Okay, I nailed it. Yeah. Okay. Just getting practice in yeah. now. Nathan without the N. Uh-huh. Well, the first one. First <laughs> Nathan. <day. laughs> yeah. Atha. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kaliak Manis. You Kali- know? Kali- 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 and I'm Manis. Sh- it's spelled just like it sounds. Yep. 
Well, we've got a lot to get through in this episode, just like we have in and last last week we spent over two hours getting through it and and you know, hopefully just for the sake of our listeners, we we move this one forward a little bit more instead of dwelling in our opening on whether we call Twitter <laughs> X now and I went back to Twitter because I refuse to acknowledge it as X. Oh, that's fair. That's not a thing. I honestly I opened up my phone the other day looking for Twitter and I couldn't find it. I stared at my screen for I was like, where the hell did I put this app? And I was like, Oh yeah, they they changed it. They changed it. Yeah, I forgot. So we should just dive right in yeah. talking about our first thing on the docket, which is talking about beer. Let's do it. And we've we've got a little bit of an experiment today. Yeah, we're doing I'm using different. my hands a lot. And people who are listening have no idea that I'm doing <laughs> this, but I just I think it's important to just paint the picture that yeah. I am I am so open to the world right now that my hands are just you got gestures, but it, when you flailing. use them, you can hear the expression in your voice. So like, you do. can you hear it right now? <laughs> I'm gesturing it's like so one hard. Hand right clapping. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Not what it sounds like, listeners. Um, so Loop Brewing Company. Last time we were uh, we were sampling beer from Loop Brewing Company uh, from McCook was in 2021 uh, for a profile on Loop Brewing. We're not going to rehash that. You can check out our final episode from the 2021 season. We recap 2021. So if you want to take a, a little <laughs> trip back to that happy time, you can. Oh but the profile on Loop is, is great. Uh, there's a neat history there uh, serving as McCook's only brewery and, and all that fun stuff. But I think it's 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 important as a, as a bit of a PSA to talk about what, we're, what we did with this beer mm-hmm. this episode. So this was brought back by your brother uh, on a trip to McCook and through nobody's fault, through probably temperature changes and going in and out of fridges and the fact that sometimes crowling just doesn't always work out well, the beer's flat. Yeah. It's a sad, sad day when you crack open a beer and it doesn't give you that. No. You know. When you crack open a beer and it plays taps instead of <laughs> instead of giving us a nice hiss. You know that that you got to figure something out. Mm-hmm. And us not wanting this beer go to waste, I said, I can turn this into a syrup and we can use it for cocktails. Yes. So, Drew, tell us uh, the beer that uh, that we're drinking. This is Viking, correct? Yes. So Viking is a blonde ale. I want to say it's an ale. Yeah, blonde ale. Um, and so uh, it's just a traditional blonde ale, but they have hints of spruce and jun- juniper um, in this beer. And... Uh, you know, again, we didn't get to try it as it is, but like mixed in with this as a simple syrup and mixed into this cocktail um, with a little bit of gin. It's just a perfect pairing, I think. Yeah. So so we took this beer, uh, we mixed it with uh, two parts beer to one part uh, Demerara sugar in a blender, mixed it until everything was dissolved and that created our simple syrup. And then I just mixed it with a little bit of gin a little bit of lemon juice, ice, and some seltzer to, to add back that effervescence that we're missing from the beer. The which nose is, tickle. Yeah, the little bit, a little bit of that nose tickle. Yeah. So this is a little bit of a riff on a bee's knees, but instead of honey, we're using beer. So it's like beer's knees, a oh. Viking's knee. Oh, there, you there go. we go. <laughs> so uh, if you will, and and yeah, drinks kind of just like a nice junipery, sprucey lemonade. Yeah, exactly. It's a refreshing drink on a hot day. Yeah, so. absolutely. Which. You know, as we're as we're getting into the fall, we want to wear our sweatshirts, but we're not there yet. Yeah. And uh, and so this is nice and refreshing and feels like something I should drink after I mowed. But I did not mow today. That's all right. So. We're still we're still working, you know, working yeah. hard here. We're working mm-hmm. hard on these couches. Yeah. We're <laughs> we're we're holding those couches down, as my mom would say. Nice. God bless your mom. All right. <laughs> 
Well, before uh, we move on, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our very special show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. Longtime listeners of the show know Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. All right, that, that feels like the housekeeping is now out of the way, opening up the runway for us to talk about some football. Heck yeah. And, and no school streams Screams a, a football powerhouse like Purdue. <laughs> so let's talk about Purdue. Let's do it. All right. On October 28th, 2023, the Purdue Boilermakers boiler make their way to Lincoln, Nebraska to take on the Cornhuskers. Kickoff is still TBD, but this sure feels like a 2.30 matchup where the game before bleeds into the first quarter. And I'm left scrambling to see if YouTube TV has the temporary Fox affiliate hosting the first seven minutes of the game. Nice. The Boilermakers are led by Ryan Walters in his first season as head coach. Prior to taking the reins at Purdue, Walters served as defensive coordinator at Illinois under Brett Bielema, where the 2022 Illini led the country in defense. Last year, Purdue finished with an 8-6 and record that included two wins over ranked conference opponents in Minnesota and Illinois, the lone spot atop the Big Ten West, and the right to get spanked by Michigan in the Big Ten championship game. Purdue liked getting embarrassed on a national stage so much, they followed up the 43-22 Michigan loss with a 63-7 loss to LSU in the Citrus Bowl. Word of advice, don't rub any citrus in that wound. I've had my fun, but now's the time for the humble pie. Last year's Nebraska-Purdue matchup saw the Huskers fall late 43-37 to the Boilermakers in a true Big Ten defensive slugfest. (laughs) Believe it or fucking not, Purdue and Nebraska have met up 11 times with Purdue holding the advantage 6-5. Gross. It's time for the Huskers to right the ship and get this thing back to 500. Am I talking about Purdue or am I talking about the season as a whole? The answer is yes. With a new head coach, new schemes, and a change in identity, am I describing Nebraska or Purdue? Who knows? (laughs) God, I hope we win this one. We should be better than Purdue, but as they say, history is written by the winners, and right now, Purdue's pen is mightier than the sword. Will these metaphors be enough? I'm spiraling. But hopefully I get my bearings when the Huskers take on the black and gold choo-choos on Saturday, October 28th. Drew, why don't you start us off with our first Purdue true or false? All right, let's do this. Everyone knows the states of Nebraska and Indiana have a fierce rivalry when it comes to growing the most popcorn as they combine to grow more than half of the nation's popcorn on an annual basis and have traded the top spot over the years. But did you know Purdue alumnus Orville Redenbacher spent nearly two decades developing 1,000 different popcorn hybrids before discovering the perfect popping kernel for his popcorn business. A thousand different, like, variants of of popcorn. Okay. Allow me to spin some yarn. Okay. Okay. Let's hear it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So every year I go to Husker Harvest Days with work, uh-huh. and there are so many varieties of corn, both the edible kind, the seed kind, you know, for feeding livestock, all that sort of stuff. I believe that there is enough variance of corn, just like minutia, little tiny details and stuff like that. I just feel like the guy on the popcorn doesn't look like the guy who would also be the scientist. He looks like the guy playing a scientist with his big bow tie and suspenders and glasses and stuff like that. I'm going to say false. Okay. 
<laughs> okay. It's actually, uh, it is false. You're right, but for the wrong reasons. Okay. So Orville Redenbacher, the dude on the box, is actually the scientist behind it. Really? He went to Purdue and he studied agronomy and... Uh, Ag- ag- agronomy. Agronomy, yeah. yeah that I was tells let you how go, much I know about farming. You came back to it. So. The old Omaha kid. Um, he he developed, um, over the course of his uh, science career, 30,000 different hybrid strains of popcorn before he finally found the one that he wanted to use for his popcorn business. Oh, so you undervalued I undervalued it. Whoa. Yeah. 30,000. <laughs> 30,000 different strains. Um, was he frustrated when he went to the movie theater and they were like, we already, it, this is it. <laughs> this is all you get. He, no, he was obsessed with, like, he was obsessed with popcorn and the science behind it. Um, he actually started selling popcorn when he was 12 years old to help pay his way through college. I went and did, I'd have a whole like, um, crazy amount of, uh, math to figure out like how much popcorn you would need to sell nowadays to get yourself through Purdue university as an Indiana oh, let's hear resident. It. I, I, it's a lot. Um, okay, let's see. So you want, you want all the information really? Yeah. Okay, I want to so hear this. Indiana, Indiana residents pay about $10,000 per year on tuition or $40,000 for a four year degree. The profit margin on a bag of freshly popped popcorn can be as high as 80%, which is a really good margin in the food industry industry, which is usually 20 to 30%. So if the revenue on a bag of popcorn is $3, then with an 80% profit margin, the profit is $2.40. So Orville today would have to sell 16,667 bags of popcorn in order to cover the four-year cost of Purdue's tuition. Um, Starting at the age of 12 and having until the age of 18 to secure the full funding, Orville would need to sell 7.6 bags of popcorn every single day to meet the goal. Wow. That's just for tuition. It's yeah. not room and board or meal plan or books. But so. but um, when he was in college, tuition was a bag of popcorn. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's all you need to get in. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's how much that's how much things cost for inflation. Yeah, it's incredible yeah. how yeah. far we've come. But you had the to wrong pop direction. It. You had to you had to bring it to the administrators. Popped. Oh, you did. You had yeah. to pre-popped. Yeah, you couldn't just bring them kernels because they didn't have microwaves. No. Yeah. No. That's a good fact. There you go. Actually, that's I didn't know that that's he fun. went to Purdue. He went to Purdue. He was the he was the guy. They uh he was originally um gonna call it Red Bow Popcorn because he had a partner. So I don't remember the guy's name, but they blended their names together. Um, and a marketing team said, "No, we're gonna call it Orville Redenbacher because that's fucking incredible." <laughs> and you, you look like this like perfect popcorn, you know, uh, mascot. And so they put him on. He was he was not all for that, but. Um, it proved to be very successful for them. Yeah, he was he was a very humble popcorn maker. He was, yeah. he was, um, and so yeah. So, but a lot of people don't believe that he was the actual guy behind it, and he was. So there yeah, you go. including present company right here. I was like, "There's no way. Yeah, right? there's no way this guy who looks like the Six Flags mascot, that guy. There's no way that that guy's experimented with thirty thousand variants of popcorn. Oh yeah, and that's why he wore wore the red bow ties. The red bow. Oh, it's, it's a Call back to his partner. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, that's crazy. That is that's another that's another Caliac Manus name where we're like, yeah, no, we we know Orville Redenbacher. Yeah, <laughs> right. The first name in popcorn. Yeah, yeah. It's fun to say. All right, all right. That's a good one. What do you got? So here's what I got. Um, Purdue's last outright Big Ten championship came in 1929 when the Boilermakers went eight and zero, led by head coach James Phelan. 
True or false, prior to his Hall of Fame coaching career, Phelan played quarterback for Notre Dame, where he went 25-0 and over three seasons from 1915 to 1917. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say false. Okay. You are correct. Nice. I'm never correct. I feel like I've missed a lot. I feel like you're always correct. Okay. Well, thanks. You know, in my heart. (laughs) So, uh, James Phelan did in fact play quarterback for Notre Dame, Uh but he lost one game every season. Uh, his lone defeat in his first season came against Nebraska where Notre Dame lost by one point. Nice. His lone defeat in his final season came against Nebraska where Notre Dame lost seven to nothing. Hell yeah. Uh, we were winning one score games back then. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And for those curious, his lone loss in his second season came against Army, which was a 30 to 10 loss. It was the only game that season where the Notre Dame defense didn't shut out their opponent. Dang. So the one the one game. He may not have been that good of a quarterback. I mean, if you listen like <laughs> seven true. to nothing, that's kind of on him. Uh, the one game where the defense didn't throw a shutout. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't so, have the clutch gene. Yeah. Uh, he is a Hall of Famer, though. So that's good for, well, yeah. yeah, if you can get Purdue a conference championship, that's... <laughs> I, I mean, true or false, they really haven't done it since 1929. An, an outright conference championship has not happen, happened for Purdue. And it probably never will well, I mean, at it, this point. To, like, be, to be fair, they've gotten one more recently than Nebraska for the Big Ten. In terms of, like, shared... Conference championships. Yeah. Nebraska's not won the conference. Well, we've had it's, significantly less opportunities. Well, I mean, but you know, yeah, they say we dwell on history too much as Husker <laughs> fans. I'm saying Purdue, you know, yeah. If that's the history book you're still learning from, like you're missing, you know, entire, entire moments in history that are very important. Yeah, you know. So, anyways, what do you think about Purdue, Drew? <laughs> Uh, I think so. Like, like everybody knows, they they were in the conference championship game. Last year. Yeah, who predicted that? Uh, who saw that coming? Nobody I know or care about. Um, hey, I just said, I, know I said you're, you're always <laughs> right in my heart. And that was a little harsh. Um, I, they're not, they're, I think that they're going to be in trouble this year. Um, I think they're going to take a pretty significant step back despite Ryan Walters probably ending up being a decent coach for them. Yeah. Um, they just, overall, they've lost way too much on defense. Um, they're going to be implementing a new offense. And so, and their schedule is just absolutely brutal. Yeah, I, I, so. I think the schedule doesn't line up well for them. That's that's kind of my big criticism is it's going to be one of those things where a losing record this year for Purdue does not mean that it wasn't a successful season or that they won't be making steps forward yeah. uh, as, a, as a team as a whole. I'm in agreement with you that I think Ryan Walters uh, is going to be a great head coach, especially when he's a defense first kind of coach, which is something that Purdue has lacked um, in previous years. And then he's brought in an OC to kind of match with what Purdue has been successful at uh, over the years. And I think it's just going to take time for them to develop into, into their systems. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, if anything, like um, offensively, not taking a big step back this year, I think will be uh, considered a success. Um, it's going to be not too big of a transition in terms of like offensive scheme goes. Uh, Graham Harrell is a, is a former quarterback under Mike Leach and, and he, he runs an air raid style offense, but um, he's, he's a guy that's very focused on balancing the pass and the run. 
Um, well, he might he, be focused on it. He ain't that great at it. <laughs> well, so, okay, so, because I was looking into that, um, his his previous two stops at West Virginia and USC, he, um, he was decently successful aside from his last year at USC, uh, and he was he was pass heavy, but he was also influenced by the head coaches at those at those institutions. By, by pass heavy, he led the country at all of his <laughs> stops in pass frequency. Like he likes to throw the ball, and I, I get what you're saying with like coaches maybe influencing that. But like, there's going to be a learning curve for himself. Mm-hmm. You know, Matt Rule had a press conference after the the Huskers' first scrimmage where he talked about. You know, the the offense was so busy looking for the right call that they weren't finding the next call. Hmm. So, like, they were they were just dwelling on trying to find the perfect fit. And that comes with reps as well, right? That's why you scrimmage is so your coordinators can get that too. And and I think Graham Harrell's going to have a little bit of a learning curve to get into the balance. You can want to do it, but when instincts kick in and you have to get a play call off in 20 seconds, are you going to go with what you want to be doing or like just what you know what you know yeah that's a that's a fair point um when he was at north texas he he was a 50 50 guy so he he's done it before sure um and you know and purdue the way that they're constructed probably lends it lends him to kind of skewing himself you know the way he was with west virginia and and uh, usc where they are slinging the ball a lot but they've got devin mockaby and uh, dylan downing at running back you like how I stumbled over that one? Oh, like Maccabee stumbles over yeah. the grass, <laughs> but flally, yet still flally legs. My his. favorite running back to watch <laughs> play football, as long as it's not against my team. Yeah, he's like my favorite and least favorite at the same time because it's like it's hilarious, but it's also really hard to watch. I don't know. You know that Simpsons episode? There, there's it's an it's an older one where uh, Bart and Lisa get into a fight, and like I think. Bart starts spinning his arms and then Lisa just starts kicking her legs. <laughs> yeah. And like those yes. two combined is how, approach. and then they walk in. That's how Maccabee runs the yeah. football is like, he just somehow makes himself bigger than he is. Yeah. And it's like, I don't want to get kicked while I'm trying to tackle this guy. <laughs> and, and oh man, I can't he, wait. It's incredible. But is it, he's an effective he's a, runner. He's incredibly effective. Sorry. Right? I, I keep cutting you off when you're trying to make a point, but no, that that's just, okay. That just gave me the, this is a give and take conversation. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. You give, and I give take. And take. <laughs> that's all right. Um, but yeah, he, he nearly ran for, or he ran for nearly a thousand yards last year. He had nine touchdowns. Um, he also, he, he pitches in, um, in the passing game too. And so, yep. um, I think, I think having him, uh, in the backfield, I think is going to allow, Graham Harrell to maybe feel more comfortable leaning on the running game. Sure. Especially in a league where, and in a division where running the ball is essential almost to winning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not we rag on Maccabee for the way that he runs, but last year he had 195 carries, almost broke a thousand yards, averaged five yards per carry and had nine mm-hmm. touchdowns. And he was very effective, especially when he got into space. Like there's something about the way that his arms and legs move that he could really change direction um, and and find continue to find open space and really elongate uh, runs that that weren't necessarily there. Um, so he was like you said a, a very effective runner and that is a nice crutch to lean on. Um, when it comes to Graham Harrell though, as the OC, my my biggest concern for him uh, is what happens when Texas transfer Hudson Card goes down. I'm worried that if Hudson Card gets hurt, there's not a whole lot of depth, and the way that that card can be a dual threat for Purdue to not just run the ball, but extend plays with his legs and help out an offensive line that's been depleted Mm -hmm. uh, due to transfers. 
that that's where my concern comes in. Not so much can they be effective within this offense, but do they have the depth and the leadership to maintain that once the season really gets into a, a heavy flow? And I would be surprised with the kind of quarterback that Hudson Card is. In fact, he's only played five games uh, at, at this level. Um, keeping him healthy is just is going to be the top priority. And you've got a depleted offensive line and a and a <laughs> offensive coordinator who favors the pass. Like that all is kind of this recipe for uh, concern. Yeah, it's a little scary. That, I mean, he's he's obviously um, he was a highly touted quarterback coming out of out of high school, and so um, and he's he's I think he fits um, what we might see from Graham Harrell really really well in oh, terms yeah. of like great fit distributing the ball, especially close to the line of of uh, line of scrimmage. You know, not not necessarily like uh, proving deep ball, but um, but yeah, if, if he can stay healthy, then absolutely. Um, you know, I think they can find success. So um, they did bring in another quarterback in Bennett Meredith. I forget where he comes from, but um, I, I think there's a pretty steep drop off with, from one to two. With a name like Bennett Meredith, he comes from the Victorian period. That's where he comes from. <laughs> from a Jane Austen novel. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a uh, there's a female protagonist out there that like love hates him. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Um, all right, that's that's your one Jane Austen so, reference. Yeah, that's, you get that's all I get. Okay. Um, as far as like who they're who who Hudson Card is going to be throwing to, because in in a, uh, an offense like this, obviously you need to have guys that can catch the ball. Um, that's another area of concern that I I think Purdue has. Um, Payne Durham last year, their tight end, and Charlie Jones, who who led the Big Ten in receptions, they're both gone. They accounted for over I think fifty percent of the targets last year on this team. Uh, TJ Sheffield is back. He's the, he's their leading returner. He had 480 yards, four touchdowns on 46 catches, uh, and so you know he could be an asset. But you know, again, behind behind him, they're going to have to find you know some options that, that sure. Hudson Card can get the ball to. Yeah, I think that as far as like wide receiver core goes, um, Purdue is in a very similar situation that Nebraska's in, kind of questioning who's going to be the guys that step up. You know, they've got a few names that you mentioned who uh, transfer in, who come in, who can who can look to lead the team. Um, but but there there is question mark is where does that depth come from? You know, you, you're going to have some some all stars or guys that are going to step up. But as far as the like I said, the depth goes, there's just um, there's uncertainty. Nebraska's dealing with that as well. You know, you, you hear about injuries coming through players leaving, coming through the wide receiver team, uh, wide receiver room and and. Um, yeah, it, you can have as great of a quarterback throwing the ball as you can, but if they don't have targets, it's it's ineffective. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Yeah. So I, I think there's some similarities there between Nebraska and Purdue. The, the difference is Purdue's going to be leaning on that a lot more than Nebraska wants to. Right, right. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh, offensive-wise, I do think that, you know, Purdue's been a school historically that's had uh, a fairly explosive offense, especially for the Big Ten. It's just that they tend to fall short on the defensive side of the ball. Um, the past two years for Purdue that that's been kind of the opposite story that defense has mm-hmm. answered the call. Um, but for this offense, I do think it's going to take some time to get settled in with a new play caller. Um, and, and I think that Graham is uh, Graham Harrell's going to need the time as well. By the time they get to Nebraska, it should be a pretty good matchup. Um, but I, I like our defense against some of these question marks uh, the way that that kind of lines up. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah, there's too many, too many big, big questions at pretty much every, every position here. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. So what do you think about the defense? I, I I personally think that they have an opportunity to be somewhat salty this year. I think it, it could be a defense that surprises. Um, and I do have some some 
backing up reasons for that. I would love to. I would love to hear him because I'm. I'm very. You're nervous, the opposite. Very much the opposite. Yeah. yeah. You know, for, first and foremost, I'm very high on Ryan Walters as a defensive coordinator. Obviously, we saw what he accomplished at Illinois in a very short amount of time, and I wrote him off coming in uh, from Missouri. I didn't think that he would be as effective as he was because he wasn't super effective at Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, I, I do think that as a defensive-minded coach. Um, he's going to have high standards for this defense. What I also like about Purdue is although they don't return a lot of starters, they return a lot of age. They return a lot of guys who have been in the program uh, for a long time. Their youngest projected starter is Nick Carraway, who still had 22 tackles last year, two sacks, and a forced fumble. He's coming in as a sophomore. He's their youngest guy uh, that's probably going to start on this defense. So again, even though they don't have a bunch of starters returning with you know starting experience, they do have a lot of age that has gone through and been pretty successful as a defense uh, the past few years. Yeah. So that's that's where my confidence rests. I don't necessarily think they're going to be a lights out defense and be one of the best that Purdue's seen in the twenty twenty three season, uh, but I do think that they have an opportunity to maybe help win some games here and there. Okay. I'm yeah. I I trust Walters to at least you know keep things kind of pointed in the right direction, um, but they. Last year, they returned a ton of starters and still kind of took a little bit of a step back sure. on the on this side of the ball. And this year, um, 10 of their 14 leading tacklers are gone from last year. Uh, you know, you talk about experience um, and the, the value that that brings to a, a team. They've lost two six-year seniors off the defensive line um, in Jack Sullivan and, and Branson Dean, who, who transferred out to, you know, opposite coasts. Um they're bringing in a lot of transfers too to kind of yeah. like help plug some holes. But you know, even these guys, they're they come from the SEC um, along the defensive line. They're all, you know, very inexperienced. They didn't get a lot of playing time down there. Uh, it, it's just it seems to me that there's there's too much turnover. And so yeah, you can you can say like there's value in in you know having been here before, you know, being on campus for a while, but. There's still newness to the playbook. There's still a lack of game, like true game experience or starting experience. Um, and so, you know, with, with with the way things went last year for the defense, um, I just, I don't expect them to, to get better sure. necessarily. Sure. I think it's going to take a long time to get things, you know, rolling along here. So I don't think, I don't think the defense is going to be bad. If, you know, I, yeah, I like that's what you said, where you, where to, you don't think they're going to, gonna, they're not going to get better. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to get worse. I think that Walters is smart enough to see where his strengths are. Uh, he's got a, a pretty decent secondary and some pretty athletic linebackers. Um, you've got guys like OC Brothers, Jamari Brown, uh, Sanusi Kane, and Cam Allen, who are all going to start. They're going to play well. Uh, pro- some of those guys are going to play on Sundays. You know, you've got mm-hmm. some decent talent that are in this program, and I think that he's going to kind of shore up the defensive line and, and do his best to give them as much as they need and then trust in his senior guys uh, in the secondary to probably go man coverage, make some plays in the secondary and, and shut teams down that way. They're going to have plenty of practice going up against this offense during fall camp and getting them ready to see really effective passing and, and playmakers in that in that uh, in the wide receiver core. So I, I think that there's going to be an opportunity where they get the reps they need to have the confidence to go into the season and be like, you know, we're going to be men on islands out there in the secondary because they're going to need help on the line because that's the league we play in. Mm-hmm. So I think that they'll, they'll you know, they're going to have some rough games, but I don't think they're going to have all rough games where the defense is a total liability. I don't okay. think they're going to be okay. bad. I just don't think, like you said, they're not going to get better this year. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think things will change. I mean, 
the the success that he had at Illinois without bringing in, you know, five star guys and being able to coach up and stuff like that. I, I think there's going to be, you know, Purdue's going to be a pretty decent team, which is a pain in the ass. Like, <laughs> fortunately, the Big Ten West is dissolving, but now it's going to turn into a new West. You know, who who knows what what that's going to look like? Yeah. No, it's, yeah, I think they'll have games where like things do really click for the defense um, enough where you know the offense puts up you know 30 plus points and and maybe steals a win from from somebody you wouldn't necessarily necessarily expect um and it, you, i trust ryan walters to to scheme his way through games too yeah. despite the, yeah. the talent on the roster he uh you know he did that his the very first game he he was the dc at illinois was against nebraska um how'd that go <laughs> you know uh scott frost Oof. careful yikes uh, Scott Frost threw away his playbook, as we all remember, um, you know, after the very first play. So, you know, he's 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 a smart coach. He's clever. He's he's got um, he's got a way to to move guys around and really keep the the offense guessing, like where the pressure is coming from. And yeah, um, but I I think it's I think this is a a pretty big ask to to get this team anywhere close to five hundred this year uh, with all the wholesale changes and again the schedule, which. I don't know. Go look at it. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, they Fresno State's not a pushover. They're on a no. nine, nine game win streak. They yeah. Virginia Tech had a bad year last year, but they're on the road in Blacksburg. Um, Tough environment to play in for sure. Yep. Yeah. Syracuse with Dino Babers still there. Um, Great name. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and then they got Wisconsin, Illinois. Um, you know, both at home, which is good. But I don't. I don't see how they pull-off wins there. They definitely don't get both of those. They're at Iowa, Ohio State, at Nebraska, which, of course, they could win, um, at Michigan, Minnesota at home, Northwest, and then at Northwestern in Indiana to end the year. Yeah. Um, at least they're going to win on a two-game win streak. <laughs> yeah. Well, even, like, even Indiana, like, that's a rivalry game, you know, yeah. to, to close out the year. Yeah, I know. I'm not high on Indiana either, but you never know. Um, you know, again, if you have depth issues that late in the year, yeah, yeah, uh, if you're not all healthy, who knows how that goes? So, sure. so yeah, so I definitely don't expect a repeat performance in terms, of, even in in a wide open sort of West race. Um, but I think this is a this is a look at year two, like after after yeah. see how this year goes, and then look at year two, and and maybe you start to see some some silver linings or something good on the horizon. Great. So. Um, real quick on special teams, uh, they've got uh, Jack Ansel for the kicking kickoff and uh, and punt duties. Those are all pretty much locked up. Uh, but they do have a field goal kicker in Ben Freehill, who's expected to be their starter. Uh, never kicked uh, a field goal at Purdue, so should be interesting to see too if there comes down to games late how how that inexperience comes to uh, bite them in the tush, or if they uh, if if they pull them off there. Um, it, it, during all the Nebraska fall camp stuff. Uh, Ed Foley has had one of my favorite uh, pressers because he kept saying, put it through the pipes. And I had not heard that expression. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously not having played football, I'm sure it's a common expression, but the way he kept saying, you got to put them through the pipes. Yeah. <laughs> just put them through the pipes. <laughs> I just like the way he puts them through the pipes. And he just, he just kept repeating it. And I was like, all right, we're going to put them through the pipes. Yeah. Hell yeah. And then the first scrimmage, they had trouble putting them through the pipes. So, you know. Uh, that'll get Sorry, turned around. Keep speaking it into existence. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's Purdue. You want to be Purdue or Nebraska? Um, I'll be Purdue for this one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This will be interesting. It will be. All right. On three. You ready? One, two, three. Twenty-eight. 29. Oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's not good. 
that's not good. I think we can get more than 28 points. Well, I really know, do. I'm just I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic. Okay. Uh, and you are overly confident for Purdue. Man, you sound like a Purdue fan. I'm not overly confident. Are you Drew Brees? That was <laughs> <laughs> That maybe was a little bit high. I think they can I think I think that that was more like me trying to like signal what I think that their season average will be. Oh, okay. Kind of thing, you know, like they'll be hovering around that maybe 30 I mark, don't think that's going to be the case. You don't think so? Okay. That's true. We did talk about their schedule. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's going to be a tough ask. Can I, that, can I read? Can I try mine again? Sure. Okay. I'm going to read you mine, though. Okay. One, two, three. Two. 27. Okay. okay. That's better. Oh, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, let's talk about some, uh, some Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Yeah. Okay. You have the intro, so I'm going to let you take it away. Got it somewhere here. Yeah, you okay, do. Okay, here we go. On Saturday, November 18th, the Huskers travel north to Camp Randall to take on the Wisconsin Badgers. Kickoff is still unscheduled, but with Wisconsin in the mix as a preseason favorite and in one of the few venues that rivals Lincoln's Memorial Stadium, a night matchup between these two teams could be electric. The Badgers are led by head coach Luke, I can't tell if he likes me fickle, in his first season in Madison. Get it? Because he's fickle. Cause he- <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm cold reading this, so I'm... I'm in it with the rest of you folks. And I think I'm funny. Yeah. So these are these are knockouts. <laughs> Prior to Wisconsin, Fickle served as head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats for six seasons, earning an impressive 57-18 and 18 record and taking the first group of five team to the college football playoff. Last year's Badgers squad finished 7-6 and six overall and 4-5 and five in Big Ten play, earning them fifth place in the Big Ten West in a year where they were projected first. After moving on from head coach Paul Christ after five games, copycats, Wisconsin promoted defensive coordinator Jim Leonard on inter, uh, to interim head coach. After starting the season two and three, the Badgers finished strong behind Leonard, going five and three and capping the year with a 24-17 win over Okie State in the guaranteed rate bowl. 2022's matchup saw the Huskers pull defeat from the jaws of victory. After leading for most of the game, Wisconsin did just enough to leave Memorial Stadium with a 15-14 win. There's plenty of hype surrounding Luke Fickle and his new-look Badgers. Although Christ never took Wisconsin to the promised land, his culture of development leaves an arsenal of talent at Luke... At Fuglickle's... <laughs> <laughs> at Fuglickle's disposal. Will the Huskers encounter a buzzsaw in the season's penultimate game, or will the learning curve play to Nebraska's advantage? We'll find out on that brisk fall day when Nebraska takes on Wisconsin November 18th. <laughs> Fook Lickle. Holy cow. It's, it sounds so mean. He's got a good name for the banana game, though. What's the banana game? Fickle, fickle, bobickle, banana, <laughs> man, momickle, fickle. That is a good one. That's a good name. I like that. Speaking of Lickles, you ready for my true or false? Okay. This is going to be weird. All right. Former athletic director, Wisconsin head coach, and Nebraska linebacker, Barry Alvarez, is a notorious dairy fiend to the extent that he commissioned Ben and Jerry's to make a custom ice cream flavor for himself. Wow. That would be it. That'd be incredible. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I don't know if they do that, but I'm going to say true. You gonna say true? Yeah, it's false. Little, oh dang it! It's false, but there is a story to it. Okay, so Alvarez didn't have to reach out to Ben and Jerry's because the University of Wisconsin Madison's Babcock Dairy Store B 
beat them to the punch. Ah. So Babcock Dairy is an institution on Wisconsin's campus, thanks in major part to the Animal and Dairy Science Department. Uh, they make fresh ice cream, cheeses, and more as a way to put into practice the science and research of their agricultural department. To celebrate Alvarez's achievements as football head coach in the early 90s, Babcock Dairy introduced the ice cream flavor, Berry, B-E-R-R-Y, Alvarez, which was a mix of vanilla ice cream with raspberry, strawberry, and blueberry. Wow. So he had How his own clever. flavor. That's I don't know well. if he's a dairy fiend or not, uh, yeah. but he, you know, he did like the flavor, and it was very popular on campus. Nice. So they have their own ice cream store on friggin' Wisconsin's campus. That's pretty amazing. I would be all about that. Yeah. I love ice cream. I would go to school there just for that. Well, <laughs> that and Spotted Cow. Yeah. That's a good one-two punch. That is a good combo. Do you like ice cream? I do. What's your favorite? Um, I like anything from Coneflower oh. in Blackstone. Yeah. Voted yeah. the country's best creamery. Did the you know country's yeah, best? Yeah. Like wow. I think USA Today. I mean, I was, yeah. That's voted yeah incredible. they got voted they're, the best in the country they're phenomenal i mean i'm not i'm not surprised but um they're uh they do a lot of stuff like archetype coffee i Ooh. love the coffee ones yeah and so yeah yeah they're uh what else they do a brickle one brickle a brickle like a butter butter brickle okay is it butter brickle yeah i don't know uh, do you think fickle likes the brickle <laughs> <laughs> if he has success here, he might get his own flavor. Yeah. 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 Luke, Luke, Luke uh, mm-hmm. let's see, the uh, Fickle's Taste Bud Tickle. <laughs> no? No, that's no. You're not for that? I'm not about that. Okay. Okay. Well, you talked about how the effervescence tickles your nose. I mean. That's true. I was just trying to when come you slap up with a name on it, though. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> I got that. Fickle Tickle. <laughs> we're going to, all right, we're going <laughs> to. I'm going to stick on the food food theme for this one. Okay, okay perfect. Okay. <laughs> Everyone knows that nearly 60% of American adults believe in the existence of aliens, and a third of all American adults believe UFOs are alien aircraft. Oh, we're going to get so off topic. <laughs> <laughs> but did you know, aliens once gave a Wisconsin chicken farmer a stack of four pancakes in exchange for a glass of water. I don't care if it's false. It's true. <laughs> It's true if you believe it. Is it's it reportedly true, true? So, yeah, in 1961, Joe Simonton, Simonton of Eagle River, Wisconsin, claims that an alien spaceship landed in his garden. He said that three, quote-unquote, Italian-looking aliens. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> in the ship, asked for water and offered him four pancakes in return. Uh, the U.S. Air Force was called in. They investigated it, um, and they found that the pancakes were made of they, they like took a pancake back to their lab, found that it was made of flour, sugar, and grease, and that the flour was rumored to be made of an unknown variety of wheat. Huh. It's like previously undiscovered or, you know, nowhere else on Earth. Um, and so the Air Force labeled the case as unexplained. That is nuts. I have yeah. so many questions. <laughs> one, are they sure mm-hmm. it wasn't just one of the 30,000 popcorn strains <laughs> right. ground into wheat? It could be. I don't, I don't know. I, I, uh... I don't know if I believe in aliens, at least as far as like, you know, here. Yeah. Um, the, the universe is big enough that certainly. That sounds like just a drunk mm-hmm. college kid, like no, drove, the, his, well, drove well, his car. I was going to say this dude's like, he was like 60. He's a farmer. No, I'm not Old saying the farmer's farmer. a drunk college kid. I'm saying the aliens, the quote unquote aliens sounds, I mean, because 
college kids that have like a stack of pancakes in the car and just be like, God, we need some water. <laughs> no, he said he saw him like cooking it. He saw the chef and everything. Oh, they had they had like a whole little ecosystem inside of that ship. He yeah, he like they opened the door and there they so were. a food three truck. Of them. A food truck crashed <laughs> into his car and, and was like, "Can we get some water and we'll we'll whip? You want some pancakes or yeah, just dry ass pancakes? You don't believe in aliens." I, I I believe in them in the sense that like I'm sure that there's other living things out there. Yeah, that would make sense, right? Like of that there's got to be something else. Because this there. world, or this world, this universe is just. I mean, it's yeah, it's beyond understanding. It's yeah, beyond, it's the size of it. So yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, do I, but do I think that they're gonna that they've been here? They show up or they bring fucking pancakes to some guy in Wisconsin? I don't know. I mean, they stop for water, like a glass, a glass of water. Like they're traveling. Their ship could run on it. You don't know. You don't know what fuels their ship. <laughs> a glass, a glass of Wisconsin tap water is enough to. You don't know how efficient their ships are. <laughs> you don't know what kind of total dissolved solids are in Wisconsin water. Okay. You don't know. They could run off, uh, you know, salt and there could be like a high sodium content in that water. You don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like you're so quick to judge. Wisconsin's water <laughs> and and the efficiencies of aliens it, spaceships. I, I, Wisconsin's water makes good beer. There is a button on our soundboard that goes do 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 like a very mysterious sound. Mm-hmm. And you push it. I want to, but I don't remember which button it is. You don't want to subject people to like finding out. No, no, no. no. I'm not going to subject them to find out. I'm going to have you guess which button it is. So, uh, red, orange, yellow, green, light blue, dark blue. Purple or pink? Probably purple. Purple? Okay. Mysterious, yeah. Do you believe? <laughs> nope. That's not it. <laughs> now you ask me. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess um, green. Okay. Do you believe? <laughs> okay. So okay. we're not going to find it. That's it. But yeah, I believe <laughs> for the same reason. Yeah. So Wisconsin, man, they're picked to be one, either the best or the second best team in the Big Ten West. I don't yeah. buy it. Do you buy it? Um, I can believe it, kind of like can the you way believe? that you <laughs> do it. Nope, that ain't it either. <laughs> Ask me if I believe uh, it. Do you believe? No, no. I don't. Okay. Nope, I'm shutting that off. <laughs> I, I, I don't believe it just because it's a, it's a big culture change uh, as far as the system that Fickle wants to run matched with the talent and the skill that he currently has on campus. Yeah. That's 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 where my it's like there's there's going to be some early hiccups and I think there's other teams that are further down the road and more established that are not going to have those hiccups out of the gate. It's not so much that Wisconsin can't do it, it's that I think there's other teams that are going to be able to. They're just more established. Iowa. That's, I mean, let's yeah. let's get that crap out of the way. <sighs> I did say last week or last whatever that I thought Iowa would take it. And I still I still do, but like I'm, you can bet on it. I, <laughs> wow. Not afraid. Yeah. Come get me, Brian Ferentz. <laughs> um, I, but I, I can I can see the appeal behind Wisconsin because Luke Fickle is a is a well respected coach. Yeah, he um, did great at Ohio State. Ali, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know Phil Longo is is bringing in a completely different offense. Um, but like, there's still so much talent there on yeah. that team. Um, and, and I think that they, he should be able to still be successful enough to win yeah. nine games. Do I, do I think that they'll compete for the big 10 West? Yes. Do I think that they're going to run away with it? 
No. Oh, not run away with it. A little. I mean, look at look at what has happened the past few years. There's been like a different Big Ten West champion for the past however many years in a row. None of them Wisconsin. I think the last three. Yeah. So, I, I mean, Phil Longo's coming in, another coach coming into the Big Ten with experience in the air raid. He's coming off of North Carolina. Um, he says that he wants to use the talent he has on the offensive line and in the backfield to run the ball. Might be more balanced than what he's done in the past, mm-hmm. um, especially when you start looking at Braylon Allen and Chesma Lucy as the one-two punch. Like to me, that is where Wisconsin's offense for the 2023 season is going to start and stop. Is how successful are their running backs going to be when they're some of the best in the conference? Right. Uh, especially running behind an offensive line that's anchored by three returning starters and a center transfer in Jake Renfro from Cincinnati, who was an all-conference center in 21. So, like, I think Wisconsin has a lot of the puzzle pieces to be Wisconsin of the past, but the fact that they've brought in an offensive coordinator who doesn't share that philosophy is a weird mix for that to expect to gel out of the gate. Okay, that's fine, but but also, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's a, that's a, fair, that's a fair point, um, but, like, Luke Fickle brought him in on purpose. It's not, I don't, I don't think like, it's not like an unexpected mismatch. Um, you know, and, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe that he would, Luke Fickle would come here and bring Phil Longo along with him if he didn't see the right pieces on the, the roster now to make it work. Um, and when Longo was at North Carolina, he still had one of the top rushing offenses in the conference. At sure. least they were always, they always finished in the top half. Um, not only that, but I think ha- like having guys like Brandon Allen and, Ch- and Ches Malusi and a, and a Wisconsin offensive line, um, you know, guys that know how to ground and pound. When you take this 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 spread sort of air raid offense and you shorten the field and you get into those like the red zone and the scoring opportunities, having a running game um, that you can rely on, I think it just makes it that much more potent. Sure, and 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 it provides you know just better opportunities to score. Um, so I, I could see them being successful in that. And, and he's been around long enough, long ago, that, that, yeah, he will be able to adjust his his offense to the pieces that he has on the team. Um, and I'm sure he's instilled this offense enough times that he knows he's got that process down. Okay. Um, and Wisconsin's a developmental program. Sure. Right? And so they've got a bunch of very football-savvy guys, guys who like to study film, who like to develop their game who are probably willing to put in the extra hours needed to um, get this thing off and running early. Okay, I can I can buy into that. So, I don't think, again, mm-hmm. it's similar to Purdue's defense. I don't think Wisconsin's going to be a bad team. Mm-hmm. I just think there are other teams that are further along that don't have the change that Wisconsin's going through. And and I think that there's going to be some early hiccups. I think that those always happen in, in coaching changes unless you're like Mel Tucker and you just transfer in an entire team you know, to get the ball rolling. Uh, but as far as this goes, I, I think that because Fickle's going to want to get to a point to where he's running the kind of offense that he has ran in the past and been successful with at a place like Cincinnati and be similar to a team like an Ohio State in the kind of aerial attack that they have, uh, like I think that's the ultimate goal for him is to build towards that. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, in a transition year, are they as concerned with focusing on the players they have or are they more, more focused on building into the team they want to be? And so I just I just think that it's it's a question that if he answers one way, the team might have great success this year. If he answers it the other way where it's like, no, we're more focused on building something that's going to be a dynasty and, and run for a long time in the new look Big Ten when we're bringing in more teams that run an air raid that are Pac-12 teams that have you know been playing in this high-flying offense. Like, where does that philosophy sit? 
Mm-hmm. And I could see it going either way. Like, are you building for success right now or are you building for success long term? And Wisconsin's had such success, such success on the defensive side of the ball. If they build towards that, that becomes a freaking roadblock for these new teams that just haven't experienced that. Yeah. And it becomes the buzzsaw um, and, and really kind of what the Big Ten West has stood for. Yeah, I think if you look at the guys that he brought in on the offensive side of the ball, I think he's aiming for instant instant success and building to the future. But like, because he's brought in, you can't have you, both. You can't. If you I can't, can't have both, that. you can't have both. <laughs> he he's got Tanner Mordecai, who's his quarterback. He's a one he's a one and done guy. I am not high on Tanner Mordecai. He's a one and done guy. But he's a he's a veteran guy. Okay. Who. I think that they, I think he can sling the ball. That's all you need, right? You just need a guy that can distribute the ball. Um, he's not going to be relied on in the running game because you got two running backs back there that can take sure. care of that. They brought in a ton of new wide receiver options. Um, they have a good wide receiver core there already. Who is who is sticking it out? It is a good core, I will um, say. And they brought in some really solid transfers. They've got depth at the wide receiver spot. They've got a, a lot, a lot of uh, yeah, people to to throw to, um, which is good because they don't have any tight ends. Like they have no. Which, no tight ends um but it, i think that this this offense i think that they built it for success now but they also brought in um nick evers out of oklahoma who's waiting in the wings who i think is going to be the one to take over um starting next year sure and so i think that he's a, i think he's got his feet in both camps i think he's he's ready like i think he's geared up he thinks that they can take the west now and i i, I agree and i also think that they have a very set like long-term plan that they've already got in motion. Okay. So then, so I shouldn't take as much stock in the spring game where, where Mordecai threw two interceptions in his first two possessions because they were trying to do a little too much in the aerial game that Phil Longo is going to play the bongo and he's going to turn this (laughs) thing around and he's going to focus more on the run game. Cause when Wisconsin ran the ball in their spring game, which Uh is what we're really seeing out of what we've got, they were successful. Yeah. When they turned the ball to Tanner Mordecai and said, go make plays, the defense made plays. So I, I guess from what limited uh, things we've seen from this team so far, yeah, I'm not as high on everyone else because I do think there is a philosophy crash or clash. But uh, you know, okay. hearing what you have to say as far as like there's there's the idea for now, and then there's like, the idea for later, and we're willing to focus on one and then pivot. You know, when the season ends, we'll pivot to building for the long term. I could maybe buy into that. I'm just not as high as I have been on Wisconsin in the past. Okay, specifically offensively. Um, defensively, I expect them to be prototypical Wisconsin stout mm-hmm. against the run. They returned five starters on their front seven. Um, Mayman and young meta, man, I mispronounced that Ricardo, uh, Hallman, um, uh, gosh, what do they have? Jordan Turner, a lot of, a lot of guys who are experienced. Um, they've been successful in this defense. That defense didn't really skip a beat when the transition happened from Chris to Leonard. I mean, we wouldn't expect that to happen. Um, and, and I just think that that front seven is going to be stout yet again, where, you know, they're going to make up for the deficiencies they have in the secondary because they're going to get to your quarterback. They're going to put pressure on you and they're not going to let you open up the run game. So I, I expect the same thing out of this Wisconsin again. And, and maybe if there's a hope for them to win the big 10 West, it's because their defense doesn't skip a beat. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent. Um, the front seven is going to be nasty. Uh, Mike Tressel coming in as DC, he's going to bring in a three three five, um, but it's a it's a very versatile. It's like it's like Tony White. You know, you're gonna, he's going to move guys all over and um, lining up in three four and, and you know five two and all this other stuff. So um, having 
having established defensive ends, having those middle linebacker spots, the two guys that you brought up, um, I'm not even going to try Jordan Turner and then this, this third team, all Big Ten linebacker. Uh, I am going to try Maimon Young Meta. Maimon Young Meta. Okay. Um, he was in Kaliak Manis. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody Horrible is named. Redenbucker. <laughs> Um, he, he was their leading tackler last year. Um, they're, but, but they're going to be, I think they're going to be blitzing these guys up the middle, like crazy. Um, plus they're going to have that, the, the edge defenders, um, coming in too. And so like, it's going to be an absolute headache trying to figure out where that pressure is coming from. And you're right. That's going to alleviate, um, some of the growing pains, I think for the secondary as they work through, um, everything that they've got going on. Um, I think the, one of the other big question marks is, is their nose tackle position they lose Keanu Benton to the NFL um, and they've got Gio Pez, um, who's been around the program for a long time he's seen he's seen a little bit of playing time here and there but he's gonna have to eat up the middle like he's gonna have to take on multiple blockers along that offensive line in order to free up the the middle the middle backers as they blitz and so um, if they can figure that out very early on, then yeah, this this front seven could be incredibly dangerous. Yeah, one of the things they also have going for them, you know, I've talked about how their secondary has been somewhat of a liability uh, that they've been able to overcome quite a bit. Uh, Mike Tressel, the defensive coordinator, got Cincinnati's defense ranked second in pass defense during their college football playoff run. So, like, even though they've had a weakness here and and they don't necessarily have the the skill and the starters and and the talent coming back. In that secondary, I do expect Wisconsin's defense to evolve to be able to, you know, counteract that. As much as it upsets me to, to say, you know, as far as coaching hires go, I think Nebraska and Wisconsin are going to be compared to each other uh, for the long run while these two coaches are, are kind of there. And when you look at the Wisconsin hire, as much as Luke Fickle was kind of the it name in this hiring cycle, it's also a really good fit for Wisconsin. He is evolving the offense into something that is going to fit more with the Big Ten East and the new teams that are coming into the Big Ten. And his defensive coordinator is going to shore up some of their liabilities that will also serve them well moving forward into this new look Big Ten. So um, I don't want my my words of I don't think Wisconsin's going to be the world beater this year to cover the fact that I think that down the road, Wisconsin is shaping up to be uh, a team that will be very competitive, not just on uh, the Big Ten West or whatever conference or division the Big Ten West puts them in, but on a national scale. I think Wisconsin's going to be a team that is shaping up for um, some serious success, and I hope that Nebraska kind of pairs up against that. It'd be neat to see these two teams kind of build this rivalry of like, hey, they're both going through the same development. They started at the same time, and and one might be inching in front of the other, and then the next season, the next one kind of overtakes. Yeah, and it'll be inter- I think it'll be all the more interesting because of the approaches that they're taking with Wisconsin going way against their their history, against their grain, um, trying to yeah move into the future. Nebraska doing sort of the opposite and falling back onto the past and like what used to work um, in more old school traditional type football, um, and just seeing how that plays out. And um, I think I mean both can obviously be successful yeah Um, I'm kind of sad to see the west division you know go at this time I feel like a a few years um you know if these things if both these teams like you know establish themselves I I thought that that could be really fun to see them as like just two heavy hitters at the top well and I think you got to include Illinois in that too I think Mm -hmm. those three like they kind of there was almost this feeling of like okay Nebraska's finally figured out the big 10 west DNA and we're bringing in a coach that's going to instill that because that kind of 
spoke to the Nebraska historical DNA as well. And it's like, why did we shy away from that when this is what we needed to be successful? I think that's why people thought Nebraska was going to come in and be a world beater in the Big Ten, you know, mm-hmm. so many years ago because it lined up so well with Nebraska, with what they did so well. And then we've just slowly kind of gotten away from that. And now we're returning to it when we're seeing this evolution of the entire conference. So it's a it's a funny dichotomy to kind of see how that played out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Nebraska can have success with the old, old school kind of point of view of let's have a great defense. Let's learn how to run the ball and win games in the fourth quarter. Um, and that, you know, that'll save you. If, if your defense can be stout, your run game can be possessive. All those things can just, just play so well. But the way, again, Wisconsin is, is shaping up is like they're looking at one way to do it and Nebraska's looking at this other way and it'll be a neat experiment to see um, how those two teams line up. But there's there's a lot of similarities because of the timing yeah. uh, and the fact that they stole colors from us. <laughs> <laughs> we're the right... We're the, we're the red and white, damn it. <laughs> um, as far as special teams go, they've got a transfer kicker, kicker in uh, Nathaniel Vakos from uh, Ohio. Went 22 of 27 as a freshman, so a pretty decent leg coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, punter Jack Van Dyke moves from kickoff specialist to punter as well, so... Um, he's got the leg. It'll be interesting to see kind of how they, they play through on that. But uh, some changes on the special teams front yeah. for Wisconsin all around. And Luke Fickle is heavily involved in special teams. And so, you know, he'll he'll oversee a lot of that operation, especially like on the return games. Um, that kicker, Bacos, he, he's got a big leg for a young guy. So yeah. he can kick from a distance. So, um, you know, if there are offensive struggles in a game and they start to sputter out um, or they, they struggle in the red zone, I feel like they're gonna they're gonna be able to lean on him and rely on him to get points on the board at least, which close games. I'm, I'm weirded uh, out that you know about their kickers. I I do some I do some research. <laughs> it's usually like honestly, this is my like eleventh hour research. Where, oh okay. You know what I mean? And that's why it's so it's fresh. I don't even have to look at it. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm impressed. Like, like on my way is, over, I'm no. Mine is um, in in front of me. Yeah. No, well, you said most of you said pretty like literally like oh, everything I had, had written down. So yeah, we, I know, but typically you're like sources. I don't fucking care about the kickers. <laughs> I don't care, but I still feel like I have a job to do in speaking, you know, speaking about them. So, yeah, there you go. Very cool. And so, yeah, and I, I thought about, you know, how a, the kicker can influence the game. Okay. Or in a team. Put it through the pipes. <laughs> just got to put it through the pipes. Got to put it through the pipes. Yeah, you got to put it through the pipes. <laughs> a kid can put it through the pipes. All right. You get to be Nebraska this go. Okay. I'll be Wisconsin. I'll be better this time. Okay. Who? this is going to be a tough one. This will be really tough. Last time, last last year was fifteen to fourteen. Yeah, um, this year's gonna be sixteen to seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> that was a heartbreaker Ooh, last year, man. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I I had the projector set up. I was watching it on a hundred inch screen. I was feeling so Dang. good. Uh, that was before the basement was finished. It was unfinished. I was sitting on a concrete floor drinking, <laughs> getting my face was getting closer and closer to the ground, and then I just ended up, you know. Fully splayed out by the time that game was done. Jeez. Yeah, that was rough. That was a hard one. Yeah, let me go back and think about that some more. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. I'm Nebraska. You're Nebraska. I'm Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, on three. Okay. One, two, three. Twenty. 20. Oh, oh no! Okay. Overtime. Oh, Ooh. Okay. 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 Um, how do we do this? <laughs> how do we do this? Okay. Um, I don't know how to do this. I think we just leave it. I think we leave it. Okay. I would be stoked a if Nebraska's. Oh. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, and then we win. Well, yeah, that'd be that even would more be stoked. Better so you don't at night at Camp Randall, we pull off an upset in overtime. Yeah, yeah. I'll take it. Cool. cool. Well, I think it's time for us to take a little breather. For you guys, it'll be real quick. But for Drew and I, we're going to take a break. 
get another drink, tell you about this next beer that we turned into another syrup, Woo. and uh, and go from there. Sound All good? Right, let's do it. All right. So we are back with our quote unquote second beer. Uh, Drew, tell us tell us what beer we would have been drinking had the unfortunate not happened for unforeseen circumstance. Right. So uh, we got Loops um, Orient Express. This is a cream ale, and this is one that we we did have back in, yep. in twenty twenty one. We got to try it. It's a again a cream ale, um, which is our the show favorite I yeah. think style of beer. Yep. Um, but what Loop does is they get they get ginger, lemongrass, and lime. Um, notes in that and and they that jumps like even yeah even, even when with it was this flat beer, yep. yeah like that it just pops out of the beer and so um yeah you can tell tell us about what you created using the beer that we had yeah so again uh two parts beer one part demerara sugar blended that until it was you know the sugar was all dissolved got a simple syrup out of that um and one of the liqueurs and flavors that plays really well with citrus is apricot if you're especially a fan of of alcohol um not alcohol excuse me (laughs) if you're a fan of alcohol no if you're you know as far as like fruits go apricot fruit flavored alcohols is what i was trying to say Mm -hmm. um there's some really nice apricot liqueurs out there the one that i have is made in germany they use apricot to not only flavor it with apricot juice but they also distill the apricot to get the liquor that they then add the juice to to get it to um, the percentage of alcohol that they're looking for. So it's a very apricot-flavored liqueur. It smells like apricot. It tastes like apricot. Everything yeah. about it is very apricot. But a real, yeah. real apricot. So yeah. when when we sampled this and it had that citrus hit to it, I was like, you know what's going to play really well with this is citrus, uh, is is apricot, and what plays really well with apricot is whiskey. Those two work. It's kind of like how apricot yeah. goes really well with wheat beer. I say whiskey plays really well with me. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and I tell you, so we took this this simple syrup that we made uh, from Orient Express, and it made a really nice, simple syrup that had some citrus notes to it. We mixed it with uh, some Buffalo Trace whiskey. We mixed it with a little bit of apricot liqueur, and then a bar spoon, just a little bit of lemon juice. And um, when you bring those three things together, man, they sing. That whiskey hits you nice up front, then you get the apricot, it opens up, and that citrus note just balances everything out, lightens everything up. Um, so this was a really cool experiment. We took longer uh, of a break than we probably should have because we just kept sitting there <laughs> sipping it going, oh, my God, this is so good. It's phenomenal. So there you yeah. go. Make a drink of whiskey, apricot liqueur, a little lemon juice, and then make a simple syrup out of a really damn good citrusy cream ale. And you've got yourself a really delightful afternoon. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or morning or evening, whatever <laughs> you want. <laughs> I have a feeling limit. that you're going to come over to my house now and you're going to be like, uh, hey, do you have this stuff to make <laughs> just uh, just the the apricot Orient Express? And yeah. no, I'm not yeah. going to ask. You're just going to wake up one day. I'm going to be down here mixing it. And yeah, I guess you saw the whole process, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So um, Lube is an excellent brewery. They made great beers the last time we tried. Them. Oh, yeah. Their yeah. beers even flat hit the notes that they said they were going to hit. Um, it's unfortunate that sometimes just with crowling and transportation and stuff like that, whoopsies happen. Mm-hmm. Um but one of the fun things about being able to experiment with cocktails, which is a, a, a little hobby of mine, is that you get to make some some fun accidents yeah. take place. It's and, a, it's and a, you you have a rescue program. Yeah. You rescued a couple of beers and, and got to repurpose them and, and yeah. get some good use out of them. And um, so if you have a chance, if you're in the McCook area, swing by Loop. They have great food. They have great beer. Mm-hmm. They have really great beer. I still think about that stout that was just a knockover. 
um, which is, yes, those yeah. are my favorites. Yeah. You, I think you've kind of lambasted me before on the podcast. I'm like, well, we know who picks <laughs> out the beer as we this do our true. season end recaps where it's all barley wines and, and imperial <laughs> barrel aged stouts. But Oh, man. And, and my brother, again, who brought the, the beers back to us, um, had nothing but good things to say about his experience out there yeah. and, and the service that he got. And so That's great. Well, thank yeah. you, Zach, for bringing these beers back for us to sample and enjoy. Uh, they've been put to good use, and they went through the uh, wannabe walk-ons rescue program and were <laughs> repurposed. So that's excellent. These are these are the, the, the kind of the perfect thing to put a smile on our face when we talk about this next team i really withheld just i don't know if you could feel it the energy coming out of my mouth when i said this next and then there was a, a little bit of a pause mm-hmm. yeah uh, a lot of things came out uh, in my brain that i did not let come out of my mouth <laughs> so that's great that's let's great. let's talk about uh iowa okay <laughs> didn't need another drink yeah check yeah. it out it's the third non-saturday game nebraska plays in the 2023 <laughs> season 25% of the time, I'll have to do shit around the house on Saturdays in the fall because I won't have the excuse of the game's on. Bad for my mental health, good for my lawn, I guess. On Friday, November 24, the Iowa Hawkeyes travel to Lincoln, Nebraska for their annual Black Friday matchup in the Battle for the Heroes Trophy. Kickoff is scheduled for 11 a.m., which should be early enough to keep my buzz going from Thanksgiving. <laughs> The Hawkeyes are led by rose-tinted glasses wearer Kirk Ferentz in his 400th season as head coach. As a Husker fan, I'm always being told that our history is irrelevant, so the only game I have to go on is the most recent. Last year, the Hawkeyes had a chance at winning the Big Ten West, but fell one game short when the Huskers traveled to Iowa City and pulled the 24-17 upset. Literally all Iowa had to do was beat a three-win Nebraska team with an interim head coach and a depleted assistant coaching staff to go to the Big Ten championship game. And they lost. (laughs) This year's Hawkeyes are picked by most to be the best team in the West. They've got a defense filled with high-caliber players and arguably the best defensive player in the conference. If they can score, say, 25 points per game, maybe they've got a chance. Wait a minute. 25 points would have gotten them into the Big Ten Championship, and 25 points per game is the requirement for Brian Ferentz to keep his job. That's got to be a coincidence, right? That number can't be what's living rent-free in Iowa's athletic administration's head because of Nebraska, can it? Who can say? I can, and I will. (laughs) It's the last game of the season, and nothing else matters except for those 60 minutes on the field. Can the Huskers play spoiler to another Iowa run? Or will Iowa get to take the Heroes Trophy back home to the birthplace of High V? We'll find out as we digest our turkey when Nebraska takes on Iowa at home on Friday, November 24th. Fuck Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't scripted. That wasn't. That was yeah, an improv. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a yes and sort of thing. Yes, yes and fuck and Iowa. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hit oh, me with the man. true or false about Iowa, Drew. I'm okay. going to take another sip of this drink. Okay, here we go. I miss it already. Savor that drink. Savor this fact. Everyone knows that the four-hour drive across Iowa feels like four lifetimes in purgatory. (laughs) True. (laughs) But did you know, in 1910, Iowans built a 380-mile highway from Council Bluffs to Davenport in one hour. In one hour? In one hour. Oh, my gosh. That feels... That feels how many miles? Three hundred and eighty. The the length of 
the state? Like across the entire state in one hour. Council Bluffs to Davenport in one hour. They built a highway hour. in what year again? I was not I, listening. That's okay. <laughs> you, were, you, were, you were in heaven. I was taking a yeah, sip, yeah. yeah. In 1910? In 1910. Okay, so what constituted as a highway in 1910? A fully functioning, like cars could drive on it, paved highway. The, the, the Model T Ford, you know, that one? I'm good. I mean, I, 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 as, as little faith as I have is in Iowans driving abilities and their highway system. What I do have faith in is human ingenuity to be able to do something like that. So just for the sake of like humanity, I want to say true. Like, I don't want people to spend any more time in Iowa than they have to. (laughs) (laughs) And neither did they. They're like, we need to get the fuck out of here as fast as possible. The transit authority is giving you, (laughs) is giving you, uh, Four years to build this, and like we're gonna get out of here in an hour. That's get this done. I'm gonna say true. That's actually what you just said is a pretty accurate statement to what <laughs> happened. <laughs> so, is it true? It's true. It's oh true. My gosh, okay. that's incredible. Um, I guess just speaking to what you just said. So yeah, the the their transit authority was like they always like just dragged out all these fucking projects and stuff. And so these these uh, two guys in Des Moines were just kind of fed up. Um, the, the model T Ford had just been introduced to the market. And so it was like overtaking the roads. They didn't have a good road to get, you know, from one side of the state to another, like an interstate highway. Yeah. Um, which, you know, obviously the interstate wasn't even invented at that point, but would that be an intrastate instead of interstate? Well, yeah, but you want, you know what I'm, I guess the way, well, no, I'm, but yes, I don't know what you mean. I'm trying to clarify. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It would be an interstate, but like that, that concept didn't exist, right? This like, just like one long ass road across the state. I'm so proud of myself. I'm sorry. And so these guys are like, they, they coordinated this effort um, along with the, I think the, either the mayor of Des Moines or the governor of Iowa, I can't remember, um, to, to enlist 10,000 volunteers and farmers across the entire state. Okay. Um, they, they got all the equipment necessary. They got all, everything approved. Um, and they, on, at 9 a.m. on, I think, June 25th, 1910, they started construction you know, everybody in their own little spot. Yeah, yeah. And in one one hour, they completed this road. That is one insane. hour. And then they put up all the sign doot, 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 all along the road. By the end of the day, they had themselves a three hundred an interstate. Mile, an interstate, yes. That was, in fact, the grandfather to the interstate. That's crazy. It was, yeah. It it it. Um, they they revolutionized. I think essentially like the way that we think about, you know, travel across yeah. states. So, um, there you have it. That that's, was yeah. That's, I just thought it was an incredible. I like. I can't believe I've never even heard of this. It's it's the river to river road because it stretches yeah. from you know the Missouri to the Mississippi. Um, but yeah. Good, I, good I, I wonder, and I don't say this as a joke. I wonder if there was any Amish influence when you look at like the way that the Amish are able to like barn raise, and I know that the Amana colonies in Iowa. Um, so there there was like the population of like the get shit done, mm-hmm. you know, and and the group effort. In fact, there were ten thousand volunteers. I wonder if any of that like played together. This would be a really interesting history to kind of like dive into further. I would, yeah, about about so, that. I wonder if like there was any any um, kind of cross pollination on that plan where it was like, hey, we we know that the uh, this is possible if we get enough people involved. Yeah, and then apparently that uh, interstate construction workers were like, well, that 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 oh, no, that can't happen again. <laughs> And so that's why in the Midwest, one of the seasons is just road construction. Right. Yeah. And you just see them doing it in such a linear fashion. That's yeah. just, yeah, 10 guys across. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I thought that was just brilliant that they that they pulled that off and coordinated that. And That's really impressive. Yeah. That is for, so impressive. Good for Iowa. Yeah. yeah. 
somebody also said after like traveling this road, they're like, they they said like, you know, eventually, shit. <laughs> <laughs> right? they said eventually they're like, eventually you know, um, people will you know want to travel this stretch of road. They'll as they come across it in their their intercontinental journey, whatever. It'll be a pleasant anticipation to drive, you know, through Iowa. Yeah, they just completely that. missed the mark. But they're like, know, no, we can burn through other, Iowa. So, <laughs> other than that, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay, tell me what you got. Okay, mine. So, before I dive into mine, um, doing doing my research, um, I came across the history of Kinnick Stadium. Which I don't know if have you heard of any of the history behind Kinnick that Niall Kinnick was the first Heisman winner at Iowa. Uh, he then went off to serve in World War II and he died mm-hmm. during World War II. Yeah, this is a really incredible story and not anything I'm going to joke about or anything like that. But during my research, I came across his story, and I'm I'm sure that a lot of listeners ha- have heard that story before. I hadn't, and that's you know ignorance on my part. Uh, just really cool. So I would encourage people go out research Niall Kinnick and see what he did both at Iowa and then also how he served the country. Yes, very cool. Um, mine, mine kind of touches those toes and, and goes into the 1939 season, okay. but I just wanted to throw that out there that, you know, yeah, we make fun of Iowa a lot, but there is reverence for what they've done for the sport and what their sport, you know, what their university's done for the rest of, of college football and stuff like that. So please check that out. If you haven't very cool story. Awesome. That said <laughs> at the completion of the 1939 Iowa football season, where the Hawkeyes went six, one and one head coach, Eddie Man, I am feeling this drink. <laughs> At the completion of the 1939 Iowa football season where the Hawkeyes went 6-1-1, one, and one. head coach, I keep feeling like I'm saying head wrong. <laughs> Do you want to say head coach Hetty? I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Boy, all right, take okay. it back one more time. Here we go. At the completion of the 1939 Iowa football season where the Hawkeyes went 6-1-1, one, and one. Head coach Eddie Anderson was gifted a bonus of a Cadillac from Iowa fans, money from the university, and a significant share of a mana refrigeration stock by CEO George Forsner. He got a caddy and a fridge? And money from the university. Wow. Is the true or false question? I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say false. Okay. I think something in there you're trying to like maybe sneak something past. Yeah, I have done that in the past. Yeah. Where it's like. 1938. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, or like it wasn't the Cadillac. It was a it Tesla. Was, yeah, no, not, <laughs> no, 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 not in the 30s. Actually, Tesla. another crazy thing of history, like the electric uh-huh. car has been around for an, an incredibly long yeah. time. So that's another thing to like look into if you're like, well, Tesla was the first electric car. Not by a long shot, not by like 100 years. Yeah. Uh, it's true. So this is true. Oh, nice. Yeah, Good so this guy. Uh, in the two years leading up to the 39th season, Iowa put together a 2, 13, and 1 record. Oof. Anderson's turn... Uh, was seen as a miracle, and as such, Iowa's fans, boosters, and administration felt it necessary to shower him with gifts following the team's incredible run. When Anderson retired from football in the 1960s, he cashed in the Amana stock for over $1 million. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I bet that grew. Yeah. Holy cow. Um, so he absolutely was gifted a lot of stuff uh, yeah. in that in that final year. Do you think year. they regretted that? Like, he was 6-1-1. One, and one. I mean, that's good, but, like, I mean, for Iowa's standards, yeah. like that's, <laughs> they probably hung a banner, <laughs> you know? Um, and then when you look up Eddie Anderson, uh, another crazy fact about him, this is just it, completely off topic. I tried to make this my true or false, but I couldn't figure out a way to word it. Uh, I was probably drinking these whiskey drinks <laughs> while I was trying to do this. Um, he was a gifted doctor 
who performed at the University of Iowa's hospital in the mornings before coaching in the afternoons as a urologist. So in 1946, he was told if he retired from coaching, he could be named the head of urology at the university. He turned down the request and continued to practice medicine part-time. So not only was this guy, you know, one of the best coaches in Iowa's football history up until that point, um, he was also seen as... Uh, a great urologist yeah and would literally go from working in the hospital in the morning to then coaching on the sidelines in the afternoon that's wild do you think that football ever really distracted him from his you know urology okay so here's another thing about eddie anderson <laughs> um is that great 1939 season uh -huh. was like his best year and then he got kind of a little bit more complacent in his coaching and he went to iowa and asked for tenure as their head coach and his season or his record had gotten worse and worse over the years. And they're like, no, but you could probably get paid more being a doctor at our university. Yeah. And he was like, fuck you. <laughs> and then he went and coached at Holy Cross okay. uh, instead. And that's where he finished his coaching career. Then he cashed out his Amana stock yeah. and uh, moved down to Florida where he retired and, and uh, lived the rest of his life. What a life. Yeah. Eddie Anderson. Awesome. What a dude. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Can't say his name for shit. <laughs> Can say Ethan <laughs> so Kaliak Manis. <laughs> yeah. Eddie Anderson. Eddie, Eddie, <laughs> it just feels head coach Eddie Anderson. You try and say that. Head coach Eddie Anderson. Okay. I mean, I can. Fuck you, man. Well, no, I, I saw You're so think. perfect. <laughs> I had to think about it as I was saying it. That's not easy, but you know. Okay. So I tell me. Fuck it up. Twice. Tell me why Iowa's the best team in the West. Okay. Ugh. They're not. <laughs> they're really not. Like, they're, it's gross. Like, how. Yeah. Um, how Iowa they are, but to me they they have such stability um, and such consistency compared to everybody else that yeah. I just feel like they're this is the this is a year where they just get the West title. They have to right, like they're the team like you said that has had the same administration, the same coaching staff, the same everything in place, and then they have just been developing and developing and developing into this point, and they finally have the piece that they've been missing which is a quarterback yeah, to kind of lead them over the hump and into the big 10 championship game. Yes. Yeah. And they're and it's not like they've been unsuccessful, right? Like, so eight of the last or seven of the last eight seasons, they've had eight wins or more. And the only season that they did not achieve that was in 2020 when they only played eight games, they still went six and two. So like yeah. they've been a good, like they've been a good team yeah. record record wise. Right. Sure. Um, but yeah, they do. They have some pieces now in place. Now, I think that you're not going to see like wholesale changes. You're not going to see like suddenly like the offense just take off. Um, they have pieces that fit what Brian Ferentz wants to do as an offensive coordinator to make him successful by his standards to sure. a point where I think they can average about 30 points a game, yeah. which they've done under him before. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, they, but they can do it consistent, consistently, and then they can allow their defense to just shut down other offenses and win games. Yeah. Um, you know, one of those pieces that you talk about, is it starts right up front, right? Their offensive line returns four or five starters. Um, and behind an offensive line that's experienced for a school that has their best success behind experienced offensive lines, it does set up. Perfect. What? Did that not make sense? No, it no, it made perfect sense. It just felt like it was a very convoluted way of of saying they have an experienced offensive line. It is, but what what I'm trying to say is that like Iowa's best successes on offense have come 
from that kind of offensive line development where okay. they kind of hit that mesh point, right? Mm-hmm. Where you might have two guys who are really experienced and then you've got young guys who are developing upwards. You might have three guys. Now they've got four or five coming back. That's a really solid line to be starting at, especially when you hinge your success up front on that offensive line and then behind a running back who's got experience. And with Caleb Johnson running behind an experienced offensive line, I think that they're going to see a lot of success on the ground where, yeah, they're going to get points. They're going to gash offenses on the on the ground, and they're not going to give the ball back a whole lot on offense because they're just going to be able to move that ball, keep getting first downs until inevitably they're kicking field goals or they're scoring touchdowns. Yeah, and and I guess to the offensive line, they they have 92 career starts returning um, along, just among their starters. Uh, they brought in a couple of transfers who also have starting experience at lower levels. Um and then you look at Caleb Johnson, like you were saying, as a running back. Like, he only had 780 yards last year. He wasn't, like, a, I mean, only, but, like, yeah. he did that with a limp dick offense. Like, this is the, the worst offense in the country, and he's still successful. He's still running for five yards or more per carry. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and, and not only that, but, again, with Brian Ferentz's offense, um, the dude likes to just fucking show his hand on every play, right? Like, he doesn't use play action, and so if it looked like they were going to hand the ball off to Caleb Johnson, they were handing off the ball to Caleb Johnson. Like defenses right. knew exactly what they were going to do as the play was developing, and and so he, and he was still a very successful running back. And so now, um, you know, you bring in Cade McNamara, who again they're not going to change their offense; like they're going to continue to run the same thing. But Cade McNamara has shown that he's very capable of of um, performing without like all the little trick plays, without the play action. Um, Having him as like a legit threat as a quarterback, I think even though defenses might still be able to see like what's happening, it's going to make it still more difficult to defend because the yep. talent level just that alone has increased. And so they're not going to light the world on fire, but they're going to be really, I think they're going to be very sound in what they're doing. Uh, in the Big Ten West in particular, 30 points per game is lighting the world that's on a, fire that's a yeah if, that's still a lot i i challenge you to go back and look at nebraska over the past five seasons if nebraska were averaging 30 points a game scott frost is still our head coach i mean like that completely changes kind of the 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 lay of the land and and i think that the 25 point marker although we made fun of it in in the intro and saying like 25 well that's you know one more point and you're in the big 10 championship um that that litmus test of like averaging 35 hitting or averaging 25 hitting the 30 mark is is really something that will lend to a lot of success and get you at least into the Big Ten championship especially with the kind of defense that Iowa brings if mm-hmm. Illinois if Wisconsin if any of those teams have their defense and then average 30 points a game they're your contender they're like 10 win team because yeah because you're you're talking about a just a division that, like, if you if your defense gives up 20 points a game, they're, like, sixth in the division. Right. And so, yeah, so if your offense is putting up even just 25, they're still, and, and your defense is only 20, like, you're still winning most of your games. Sure. So, yeah, it's 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 a laughable bar um, in the in the broad scheme of things, but in this division, it's, it's it means you're winning games. Yeah. So. so we talked about Caleb Johnson. We talked about the offensive line. We talked about Cade McNamara. I think one of the the other big weapons that they have on offense is their tight end room in, in yeah. Luke Lachey and in Eric All, who's a Michigan transfer who's played with Cade McNamara. Um, I think those are going to be huge as far as like running the points total up 
for Iowa, when you get into the red zone and you're giving your quarterback time in Cade McNamara to make the throws to tight ends, big bodies who can who can be those guys that take up space and are you know you're more comfortable with, especially with Iowa who's got a wide receiver room that's not all that exciting or enticing or anything like that. Like they really are that's lacking. Putting it nicely, yeah. Yeah, they're really lacking in the wide receiver room. So if if you're able to move the ball on the ground uh, with Caleb Johnson uh, and the rest of that running back room, and then hit your targets in tight ends. Uh, when it comes to the red zone, I think that that's going to be their their hopeful recipe for how we get points instead of just settling for field goals or settling for punting the ball punting. and playing field position. Yeah. So I, I do think that they have, like you said, I think it's a great way to put it. They have the tools that Brian Ferentz knows how to use, right? Like mm-hmm. give the guy a hammer and he knows how to use it. Put a screwdriver in his hand and he's like, the fuck is this? <laughs> like he he knows what he wants to to run and achieve and stuff like that. And he's got the tools to do it the Brian Ferentz way, which God bless him. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, well, I mean, I was going off of your point. I doubly agree to myself. No, they've got Caleb Brown transferring and is a wide receiver. He's out of Ohio State. He's an unproven guy, but, you know, he's come here to either get a fresh start to his career or end it. We don't know. If a wide receiver is coming to Iowa... My guess is they're looking to end their career. Yeah. Um, but th- they will have to lean on the tight ends in a in a big way. Um, they don't have the the X receiver position like at all. They don't have that that guy who's going to split out wide. Um, and so you're probably going to see them using their t- their tight ends in creative ways, um, in ways that you would normally utilize receivers. And so, um, yeah, they'll have to get a, like creative in a in a <laughs> as creative as Iowa can get. Brian Ferris um, will be like. What if the tight end catches passes? <laughs> Kirk will be, you're talking crazy, Brian. <laughs> that's the thing that's going to get him fired, right? <laughs> the, uh, other, you know, the other thing about that that people aren't talking about uh, as far as Brian Ferentz's 25 points per game is the seven wins. He also has that, that mark to pass. And, I, and okay. I always got a, a pretty difficult schedule to look at. I mean, I think it's one of the, the most difficult uh, in the Big Ten. And... Uh, so they also got to hit that mark, too. Now, I'm not saying that they're not going to hit seven wins. It's pretty tough for Iowa, like you mentioned, not to do that. But that also tells me that, like, there's maybe this waning confidence about this Iowa team is our team's figuring them out. Can they continue to get over the hurdle and get to the eight-win mark? And so in order for him to meet all of his metrics, not only does he have to score 25 points per game, but they can't lose games because of it. Yeah, I mean, so I think that's interesting, too. People aren't really dwelling on that so much that they're like, no, we're going to get to seven wins in Iowa. We just may not. We may just average, you know, four points a game. <laughs> that does, It feels like a foregone conclusion that they'll that they'll achieve that. I think it's also weird that they're hinging so much of this guy's like job on a team stat. Like wins is like a, it's a whole team. Like they could. I mean, if the defense crumbles, which they won't, but if the defense crumbles and they just fucking lose seven now, games, now that remember this, this isn't necessarily to keep his job. This is oh, to get a bonus, like a fifty thousand dollar bonus to return, regain his his salary. His salary was at nine hundred thousand. Which oh, okay, fucking what? wow. And then it went down to eight fifty. So in order for him to oh, get, what a, I know what a tough punishment. But at, at the same time, they could then look at that if they're not successful on, in the win column and say, "Well, because you didn't get to X, Y, and Z, we don't want to lose games because of your offense, Brian." You know, yeah. I, so it's oh, 
I hate it so much. I just, <laughs> let, let's just be honest. Like, this whole Iowa situation just feels it's weird. Fucking gross. Yeah. Anyway, you want to talk about their defense? Yeah. It's, okay. it's a good defense, if not a great defense. Yeah. Yet again, friggin' Iowa's defense returning three of the four starting defensive linemen, Logan Lee, Noah Shannon, Joe Evans, all up front, causing havoc, doing the same thing that schools like Wisconsin, the Big Ten West, who are the best at it. They start up front, right? They start yeah. wreaking havoc right up front. Um, their linebacker core is going to need to show some growth, but the defense uh, overall is just anchored by preseason All-American Cooper DeGene, uh, who scored 21 points by himself last year on defense. <laughs> so, like, this is a defense that they have all-stars playing on there. They have experienced guys playing on it. And every year, year after year, they are a formidable foe for every team that goes up against them. Like, they can shut down some of the best offenses. Yeah. Yeah, they they lost some key pieces, but not enough to a point where you're kind of like, I don't know how they're gonna replace that guy. Like, um, maybe at linebacker, that's that, yeah, that's, that's your biggest because you let yeah. Jack Campbell and Seth Benson, those guys had two thousand career snaps combined, um, and so like having those that duo in the middle of your defense, kind of um, coordinating things, obviously that's a big hit to take, but. Again, like you said, that defensive line is just ridiculous. Um, and they've got depth there, too. It's not like yeah. they're just like relying on just a few guys and hoping they make it through the year. Um, I think Aaron Graves is going to be a breakout candidate this year along the line, and he's their, he's like a backup DT. Um, the guy that's coming in to, to replace Lucas Van Ness um, on one of the ends is is Deontay Craig. Um, he got some playing time last year. He, he had the third-best sack rate in the Big Ten uh, last year, which is, you know, sacks per snap. Um, he had seven and a half sacks on the year, but he was their fourth defensive end on the roster in terms of Jeez. how many snaps. And so, and so now he's going to be, he's going to be a regular. Yeah. Um, and so you got to watch out for that guy. Uh, as far as like their linebacker goes, they brought in Nick Jackson from Virginia, who is, who had a, a great career there. Um, three over 350 tackles on his career. They've got Jay Higgins, who's been around the program forever, just waiting in the wings. Again, I was in a, as a developmental program, and and now you're going to see, you know, just how valuable that is. Is you, you lose key components, you just plug in the next guy that's been around for three three or four years. Um, you talked about Cooper DeGene. Yeah. Um, last year I remember, you know, looking at I was I think I was trying to find reasons to 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 shit on Iowa. Which I it's pretty typical anyway. Yeah. But like I didn't think that they could replicate what they did in their secondary. I thought that that was a little in terms of generating turnovers and stuff. I thought there's there was maybe a little bit too much randomness to that. But they still managed to have an incredible year in that secondary. Um, they did it without Jamari Harris, who got injured. Yeah, and he's um, back, and he's back now. Yep. And so again, the secondary is going to be fucking incredible. Um, I just yeah, I'm not looking forward to playing against this defense and I it makes me sad that I just had to sing their praises for the past five minutes okay well I think that uh, like you mentioned you know the linebacker group is going to have to show some growth yeah. there's opportunity there um, if Nebraska is as physical as they want to be and as they're saying they're they are on the offensive line it'll be a nice a nice matchup against this defensive line uh, and then it just comes down to the you know the best defensive player in the country in Cooper DeGene and, and how that secondary <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of hope when it comes to Nebraska playing Iowa this year. There wasn't any hope last year. There wasn't, and we fucking was just, won. And we went on the road. We so. went on the road with nothing but confidence and Bill Bush screaming, that's fucking black shirts, <laughs> baby. Um, so, you know, you never know. 
Uh, what we can say, you know, moving on from defense is special teams wise, Iowa's probably, you know, got some secret recipe there again. You've got uh, Tory Taylor coming back. The as, thunder from down under. Yep. Yeah, the, yeah. the best punter in the world. Uh, Jesus. Literally, yeah, they real. went around no, the world real. to yeah. find him. Uh, and then they got Drew Stevens coming in as uh, their field goal kicker, went 16 of 18 as a freshman. Um, this here's here's what I'm going to say. This team should win the Big Ten West. Right? Yeah. They should. They should based on all the other factors. Everything that Not we've just talked on about. Themselves. There's so much movement in the Big Ten West as far as coaching goes. Um, there's so many question marks as far as like if there hasn't been a head coaching change, like Minnesota, for example, they have an offensive coordinator change and they've got, you know, changes as far as like a defense goes. You've got guys like at Brett Bielema at Illinois who've lost their defensive coordinator that was so strong a year prior. There's there's so many reasons why Iowa should be able to just do what Iowa does and 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 make it to the Big Ten West. And there's something about that that gives me zero confidence in Iowa. The fact that like it's such an open road. It's a it's a it's an interstate, an intrastate made <laughs> from coast to coast of Iowa. But they didn't put this up in one hour. That's true. This has been twenty right. seven years in this, the making. This to me could potentially be a swan song for Kirk. Right, like this could be the year that he gets to go out on top, and if a team like this Iowa lives up to their expectation with this kind of a defense and an offense that's suitable, they could even potentially, I think, steal the Big Ten from a Michigan, oh, or an Ohio State. No. I, 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 I do, I believe that if they live up to the expectation, I think that they would have a f- who's fucking expectation. No, no. yeah, I know. There's no way they're gonna no. There, there's there's zero chance. There's no team in the West that can even come fucking close to Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan. Like, no. I, I'm just saying. Like, if, if Maryland was in the West, I would probably pick Maryland to win it. And really? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Like, that's how, that's how, like, that's just how low I am. Like, it's gross to me that Iowa is a team that, that I feel most confident in. In the Big Ten West, okay. I mean, if, and and yeah, you're you're welcome to feel that way. I'm still, thank you. I still take Illinois. I because I don't believe Iowa. No, even Illinois with, lost a quarterback and a running. I know back we've and, already been, yeah. we've hashed this out already. <laughs> you can find out in our last episode. I still think that Illinois is going to sneak away with the Big Ten West, and I think Michigan wins it all for a third year in a row. Okay. I just, I just think that if Iowa executes the way that this team and roster and ev- the, the the coaching everything it, it's it is kind of all built to this crescendo it's a weak ass crescendo it's not even like this is the thing that gets me is like it's not even about iowa like building into something it's it just, a, just fell into it yeah it's just like they, it, they yeah they don't build in it they just are what they are and then every once in a while and every once in a while like everything else just falls away like all the other teams have their own fucking issues and nobody else can make it. And so I was just there. Like, they're just always just there. And sometimes it, it sometimes it breaks their way. And sometimes, most of the time, it doesn't. Okay. Well, and so I, this I, is a year I think it breaks their way. Okay. Well, as a fucking nine-win team. I just want to point out how funny it is and how angry you are right now. And yet the stemware that you are holding <laughs> with your drink. Yeah, we didn't even talk about like w- the vessel we're drinking. Yeah, from. we're drinking we're drinking what out of it? like nice Nick and Nora cocktail glasses because this is a, a drink that we decided to to serve up, which means no ice, obviously. For yeah. and you uh, need a long stem to get a long grips. stem. You don't want to warm your drink exactly. Yeah. But you are arguing with me about this <laughs> while holding the long stem drink. Like you didn't even set it down to like make your point. It's too good. I don't want it to like leave my orbit. <laughs> Got to keep it close. Just, I, I can't take drink. you seriously. <laughs> 
as you're drinking, yeah. like sipping on your drink and yelling at me about this. I'm going to agree to disagree. I'm not yelling, I'm not yelling at you. Well, I, mean, I did get a little fired up, though. You did get a little Iowa. fired up when I said that Iowa could win the Big Ten overall. Well, because that's fucking ridiculous. Hey, man, that's why they play the game. No, that's not. They don't play the game for that reason. They, Iowa plays the game so that the Ferentz family can get <laughs> loaded up on money and so that we can all just fucking be mad every five years when they stumble ass backwards into a Big Ten West championship. Okay. I'm just saying, in in... In a singular game, when you have a solid defense and you've got a quarterback who potentially has a vendetta against a specific team, it might be a recipe where you go, holy shit, a nine-win Iowa just won the Big Ten and Michigan and Ohio State are still in the playoff. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Is you never know. It's not going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. (laughs) Thank you. No, it won't happen, but I'm saying if it did happen, the next year... I get to say, I fucking told you. I would, if that happened, I would ask that we leave the Big Ten. That would be the thing that would make me want to get out like, of this conference. Let's go to the let's go, the, to, the, let's go to the fucking Pac Four. <laughs> let's be the flagship school. Yeah, yeah. I would be, I would be inferior. Actually, I'd probably just ask that we leave college football together. We just go to the NFL. No, I was thinking like a different sport. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> at that point, this would this would turn know. into like a. Um, a trap shooting podcast. <laughs> trap shooting with cocktails. That'd be, be a little dangerous. That would be. Okay. All right, Drew, take us home. All right, that does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned in to this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. You can find more information on Loop Brewing Company by visiting their website. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendations. That concludes our 2023 preseason previews. We hope you enjoyed listening to our outside scoop on all of Nebraska's 2023 opponents. Join us next week when we sample beer from Monolithic Brewing in Omaha, Nebraska, and talk about an actual fucking football game. Nebraska's season opener against Minnesota. Thank you for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red, baby. Sports Network Production.